Hello and welcome back for another podcast episode of Asino Magazine. My name is Emre Shantuk and today I'm going to talk about how we can deal with the United States of America. So, let's get it on. In the last episode I talked about how we can deal with China. Obviously it was a very short take and also um, focused on yeah, some sort of the, the international uh, actions that can be taken against China or the actors who can actually take action against China and those who don't. In this episode I want to talk about yeah, to kind of to, to level the, the playing field also about the United States of America because there are many countries that have a stake in yeah, power reduction of the United States of America. And it is a question that not many people ask um, if they are kind of positioned in the West, but it is nonetheless a valid question because 80% um, of the remaining states in the world basically ask themselves this question, which is also warranted if we look at the track record of the United States of America internationally. And this is also born out of a different approach to international politics. Before I get to the details of how to deal with the United States, I want to talk about how international state systems actually can be structured and designed and what the current situation is. So the most recent international state design or international politics design was basically the Cold War era, where we had two superpowers that yeah, stood against each other, had um, very different ideological preferences and ideas yeah, and also uh, goals that they wanted to further and, and achieve. And obviously it was the Soviet Union with a very leftist, yeah, socialist, and communist view of the world and on the other side the United States of America and all the Western countries um, that are ideologically yeah, close to the ideas of the United States. So what we call such a constellation is a bipolar international order. Bipolar obviously because we have two powers that are kind of <clears throat> on the uh, other side of the, of the spectrum. Um, recently, I also talked about the political cube, where we can, um, where I discussed the differences uh, on the political axis, and this is a very one-dimensional thinking because we have the one on the left and the other one on the right, meaning um, that we have very limited view and in a bipolar uh, global order. Obviously, you can only um, move along one axis because there are just two uh, actors that stand. Yeah, against each other. The structural problem with that, and we saw this during the Cold War, is that international conduct is pretty much yeah, focused on two sides and you have to make a decision. The term third world actually arose from, the, from this situation where countries actually didn't want to um, be part of one camp and then they basically yeah, remained neutral and the two superpowers tried to extend to this realm of, uh, of third world countries. Today, the term obviously yeah, is used to describe underdeveloped countries. 
However, the problem is that we are always very close to a full-scale escalation of uh, these tensions because those two power blocks try to influence other areas of the world and then lead proxy wars as we have seen during the Cold War. It is always difficult because progress and development in those um, power blocks, regardless whether it's the central power of the United States on the one side and um, all the other countries that are related to the Soviet Union or the Soviet um, yeah, the mainland, the, uh, Russia as a mainland itself, development is always focused on beating the other and not intrinsically um, to develop because it's uh, desirable in, its, in itself. So that makes such a situation very uh, fragile um, as we've already experienced. And then we move to a different kind of order. And this is the unipolar order because after the collapse of the Soviet Union, obviously only one superpower remained and this is the United States today. In this constellation, all the focus of other countries, whether they are closely aligned with the United States or not, is focused on what the United States are doing actually. Financial markets, economy, social policies, uh, language, education. Even today, I mean, studying at Harvard, I guess, is uh, yeah, some sort of prestige that you also earn with that. But this was not always the case, or not to that extent that we have today. American movies, um, American goods, let's talk about the iPhone, or all sorts of other uh, goods and services, Starbucks, uh, as I said, Hollywood movies or music that comes from the United States. Everything is influenced through this unipolar order, and this is kind of the anchor. In terms of financial markets, the dollar is yeah, the reserve currency for a lot of countries, which gives the United States an extremely um, significant advantage in the realm of uh, economics and financial, uh, financial policy and macroeconomics. This is also a very fragile situation because such a hegemonic power is able to influence other countries um, to a much more significant degree and also disrupt certain social developments there. As I said, export of cultural goods mixes up the culture elsewhere. Uh, for example, I can give you uh, a, yeah, a pretty... Um, a pretty recent or contemporary example by referencing my home country, Turkey, where all those trends that we observe in the United States are kind of uh, moving there and uh, causing social disruptions among young people, but old people as well. They kind of try to act in a way um, like, the, the, like the North Americans, uh, more specifically Euro-Americans, because the Afro-Americans in the United States of America, they um, kind of preserved a certain own culture, but this is not very, yeah, it's not that much exported to, to other countries as uh, the Euro-American uh, culture. So the unipolar structure is very dangerous because it anchors all the other, or is kind of a focal point for many other countries, and they try to act in a way that does not reflect their cultural core and what they are actually supposed to do and structure their politics.
causing inefficiencies, leading them into uh, decadency or not even getting to the point where, that, uh, where they become that wealthy to become decadent. They become socially decadent, but not economically. So the unipolar structure is also very bad. What am I advocating for? And I wrote an article um, a couple of years ago, and this is one of my favorite articles, to be honest. Um, you can look it up on esido.com, uh, and I'm also going to put the link down below, so you can also read it. It's a very dry read, to be honest. Um, it's very theoretical, and I can understand that this is not a very catchy topic in terms of talking about recent developments and so on and so forth. But theoretically, this article is, yeah, as I said, one of my favorites because it explains the differences between unipolarity, bipolarity, and the third one, is, uh, which is called multipolarity. And in this state constellation, international state order that I'm talking about, we have different regional power hubs that are not that uh, powerful to kind of become uh, yeah, a hegemonic power but within their cultural realm or uh, the regional extent they are quite influential so for example let's talk about an ideal structure would be in North America obviously the United States of America and then in Latin America it would be Brazil or um, yeah probably Brazil yeah then we would have a North African power hub uh, in Libya or Egypt, for example, or Morocco, whichever country is kind of um, yeah, developing into that uh, yeah, regional power hub. In the Middle East, it would be Saudi Arabia or Iran. In Central Asia, it would be Turkey. In East Asia, it would be uh, China. In Europe, it would be the UK or Germany. And then in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, it would be yeah, probably Nigeria or South Africa, you know, so something along, uh, along those lines. But it means that we have different, we have power more dispersed on the global uh, state um, arena, which makes yeah, conflict actually not that imminent anymore. And that is because those regional power hubs kind of balance each other out. So with no country actually becoming... Uh, so strong that they can dominate other uh, great powers. It means that they kind of uh, keep a balance and concentrate on yeah the the regional development and kind of uh, anchor those countries along yeah or, or around that regional power hub. For example, if we think about Turkey again, it would be the situation that this country is among the Central Asian countries the economically most advanced and other countries would try to uh, enter yeah or they would kind of manage trade relations and political relations um, for that group predominantly obviously there's international and global trade certainly but the focal point would be turkey in that example or for example when we think about um, brazil the Latin American countries would kind of focus on yeah, um, Brazil and they would be kind of the first among equals yeah, within that region. So that would be the ideal uh, state system and the ideal global order, which is very difficult because we now have a unipolar state structure and then we come back to the beginning. How can we deal with the United States as the 
global power hub, basically the global anchor. Obviously, China is trying to uh, challenge the United States of America, but uh, they are not there yet. And uh, I'm reluctant to call this a bipolar international order. Yeah, there's still some, some way to go. And the thing with the United States is that, and th this is a very, this is actually a good and a bad thing. It is a capitalist, a strongly, strongly capitalist uh, country. Meaning, they do not have the similar authoritarian tools that other countries, that for, that for example, Russia and China have. They don't have it. They cannot simply go to any company or um, to some, some uh, lobby groups or other societal uh, groupings and tell them what to do. They're doing it through different venues, you know, behind closed door and so on and so forth, you know, but it's not very direct. In China, you need two phone calls and everything is in order like you want it. And they need to act in a way you want them to act. Uh, this is not possible in this capitalist system because they are basically relying on the free market system and the free market dynamics. So this is a good thing because in the end, everything is, is working um, yeah, via the variable of consumption. Supply and demand, it's all supply and demand. Whatever the market does and... I'm just, I'm not talking about the economic market per se, you know, it can be also socially, you know, social demand and uh, supply that kind of governs how this country um, is becoming so strong. And this is a good thing because we can kind of steer and control everything we do towards the United States through consumption. As I said, they're exporting cultural goods, don't consume them. They're exporting physical goods. Don't consume them. They are exporting weapons, um, military expertise. They are exporting military agendas. Don't consume them. Obviously, this is very difficult because in the end, um, they have made other countries so dependent on them that once the USA is basically putting sanctions on um, any country and other countries follow suit, they become in a situation they get um, they reach a situation where they cannot yeah, they are not very flexible uh, economically most countries then fall into recession and so on and so forth but here's the point if the sanctions of the united states on one country yeah were imposed unilaterally so just by the united states themselves that is not much of game changer, but the ability of the USA to influence Europe and other countries that are kind of closer to the United States from a political standpoint, that makes them strong because once Europe is also sanctioning you, you're basically done economically. And therefore, the main point is to become economically and socially, culturally independent from the USA. And this is the bad thing, because that is very, very different, uh, difficult. Because once this convenient pool of cultural goods, physical goods, which are of high quality, obviously, because the market dynamics 
basically pushed the whole nation towards this efficiency and to this high quality, otherwise they wouldn't be at the top of, of the list, right? Makes it very, very difficult for countries to find subs, uh, yeah, substitution goods elsewhere, except they produce, uh, produce those goods themselves, as China does. But many countries do not have the productive capacity to do so. So it is a very tricky situation to kind of, because once you are in, in this dependent state, of consumption <clears throat> um, yeah, of um, American goods, it is very difficult to get out and produce the productive capacity uh, or kind of establish the productive capacities yourself. Obviously, the United States are not going to just sit there and wait for you to reach autarky uh, and then become independent from all the goods and services that they're providing to the world as well as capital. This is not what they're going to do. They're going to interfere, they're going to disrupt uh, financial um, dynamics by uh, reducing capital flows, sanctioning, and, and, and so on and so forth. And also they have the reserve currency, which means that it can influence your monetary policy as well. So it makes it very difficult, Yeah, this capitalist structure, but the only way to go there the solution to reducing North American power is, is very straightforward, reduce consumption, become more independent. But the way to get there from this point on onwards is very, very difficult because they were so good at establishing their position um, that they currently have. Now you would say, well, isn't it with all the countries that we want to kind of see or want to weaken yeah no it's not for example india if you stop consuming indian goods or chinese goods if we want to put china also in this in this category or russia also three um yeah great powers actually they have the domestic capacities to yeah kind of redirect um yeah the demand Yeah, into the domestic market, especially China with um, and, and India with their um, great populations. Yeah, it's, it's a huge population. And also they can look elsewhere. And this is not quite the same with the United States. Their population is not, is not, that, uh, is not that huge and they need other markets to pay the high prices that they ask for the high quality of uh, products, which is again not the case in China and India because they're producing cheaper products. So the United States of America are very, very dependent on international demand, which other countries are not. And as I said, they cannot control directly um, with very direct and uh, authoritarian orders like other countries can do so. So there is a valid claim for the argumentation to say that consumption is the only vehicle that we can use to weaken the United States of America. In other countries, as I said, this is not so much, uh, so not so much the case. But as I also said, the road to get there to weaken them is very difficult. In order to make things easier, States who really want to, to weaken the, uh, the USA not only need 
they try to um, build alliances in order to kind of build up the pressure and reduce uh, consumption on a larger scale. But in the first place, they need to ban cultural goods, yeah, North American cultural goods. Very simple, for example, Starbucks, American movies, music. Yes, it is quite difficult to do that as well from a domestic standpoint, because then it would be seen kind of as um, repressing the society. But in the end, it is just cultural mercantilism. If you, yeah, if you see where where I want to get, you know, it's protecting the own society from from external influences and strengthen the production of own cultural goods, of own music, literature, uh, yeah, movies, TV programs, and and so on and so forth. Clothing, another very important aspect. Yeah. And this might be the soft entry into reducing North American influence and reducing consumption and um, reliance on what they export to the world. Then you start extending it to trend products such as the iPhone. And you also need to create substitutes for that, obviously. Otherwise, I mean, there's a claim, um, there's a valid claim by Apple as one of the, um, or producing the best devices in the world, basically. But you need to substitute that in order for for those um, people who are interested in those products to yeah also get this high quality elsewhere. This would be the second step. And then once you did that, it is kind of you you already build some sort of independence and then you also have to um, start reducing reduce to import the political uh, and industrial influences from the USA politically obviously it means that you don't follow suit or structure your foreign policy action and also domestic policies along the lines that you think uh, is best for your country and aligned with the cultural core of your country and then late yeah then the latest the united states are going to uh, think you know what's going on in this country um, that is trying to become independent from us they're going to up the pressure but at that point you already reached a certain level of independence from them um, as well as industrial relations uh, the usa not so much as China, but they are also influencing the infrastructure of many countries, um, especially with, yeah, with their military bases uh, around the world. And those things need to be yeah, the reliance on, on those contracts and uh, those situations um, need to be reduced as well. But then we enter a stage where it is very difficult to be undercover with that and um, it might lead to political trouble because they are so powerful. But nonetheless, that would be kind of the, yeah, the most feasible way to reduce dependency on the United States of America. And then obviously, if we apply that on a larger scale, yeah, many, many states do that, we might reach a situation where um, many countries become independent from the USA and the power gradually decreases 
obviously it is a it is a long process it takes a lot of time and in the final stage it would be also the financial market where the dependency is um, is reduced or maybe not the final stage maybe i should add that as well what all what can be always done is to redirect investment during the whole process of reducing dependency on the usa towards other financial hubs for example uh, hong kong singapore uh, saudi arabia is emerging as a very important hub um, even europe i mean we always tend to put europe or to equate uh, the usa with europe but europe is a much more reasonable actor within the global state community so redirecting um, yeah financial cap um, capacities to europe is also a viable option and um, this is a much more undercover uh, route to take because then you can argue you know we're not turning our back on the west but just on the usa so there are ways so i think it is best to to think about the financial redirection of capital um, capabilities or financial capabilities during the whole time you know a gradual um, redirection but also the step-by-step -step approach to start with the cultural goods to reduce the influence of american culture and then basically um, yeah move towards more physical and material things that we do yeah refrain from uh, importing to our country if we want to weaken the usa as i said it is important that this happens on a large scale for it to have an um, effect on the usa but nonetheless that would be kind of the step-by-step -step approach if we want to know how to deal with the usa so that's about it and um, i hope you liked it uh, i hope you also follow uh, like and share this video and then see you next time yeah, for another episode of the Cedar podcast so take care and bye